Well, before we start the sermon, I just want to just give a quick highlight. A lot of people have been asking, how did the Mexico trip go? And so I just want to give you a quick highlight. Next Sunday, we're going to have a PowerPoint, a slideshow about it, and we have some really great pictures. And we are going to have the team up here and share some things about our experience. So you'll want to come next week. Look forward to that. Bring people to come and hear about our trip, and uh, you'll hear more about it. But just in a quick overview, one of the first things I, I want to say is, it pretty much, I had this vision in mind, right? I met with the people in Mexico, and I planned out this schedule, and I had this vision in mind, and actually went pretty much exactly as I planned it. Is that amazing? I mean, how often does that happen? You plan something, and it pretty much goes exactly, almost to the minute. You know, everything just flowed uh, wonderfully, perfectly. It was great. The only bad thing that I couldn't plan, I had no control over, was the border. It took us three hours and 40 minutes to get back through the border. So that was, that was kind of long, but everything was great. In fact, uh, on uh, Thursday, we went away to the other two churches, and some of the girls at the orphanage, uh, we had a, a, a Mexican girl, her name's Sharon, really close with us. She was hanging out with us for a week. And some of them were texting her saying, when are you guys coming home, <laughs> coming back? You know, we miss you. We want to see you. So that was fun that they, they were excited to see us again. Um, want to let you know that there's some information about the orphanage. If you're interested in giving to the orphanage in any way, if you want to sponsor a child in any way, if you want more information, there's a web page you can go to about the orphanage. So I have that information. Just wanted to let you know that that's available to anyone in the church if you want to know more about the orphanage and what's going on there. But let's pray. God, we thank you for just an amazing trip this last week, uh, supported through prayer that made all the difference, Lord. And I'm just so grateful for this church and all the work that uh, you are doing in and through us. I thank you for this time this morning, Lord, that we can come to your word as we continue through your story, as we understand um, your, your people, in particular today, King Solomon, and as we gain understanding and wisdom through Solomon in his life and his writings. So open our hearts and open our mind to help us to receive what you have for us to hear and know. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Back in uh, early 1920s, 1923, there was a group of very wealthy men, very powerful men, that met together. They were talking about how they could influence society through their wealth and power. And, and they had this uh, meeting. But then... It's interesting that when you follow this group of men, these people who are looked up to for their wealth and power, 25 years later, after they all met together, um, something very interesting happened. So here's these money magnets. I'm going to go through them real quick. Arthur Cutton. You have Albert Fall, Secretary of Interior. Very wealthy. Leon Fraser, President of the Bank of International Settlements. Howard Hobson, President of the Gas Company. Ivan Kruger. Jesse Livermore, Charles Schwab, not the founder of the discount brokerage, but the president of the largest independent steel company, and Richard Whitney. These eight men met together. They were very powerful. They were very wealthy. So you fast forward 25 years later. What happened to them 25 years later? Where well, Arthur Cutton died abroad insolvent. Albert Fall was penniless and was pardoned from prison so that he could die at home. Leon Frazier committed suicide. Howard Hobson was insane. Ivan Kruger committed suicide. Jesse Livermore committed suicide. Charles Schwab 
had to live on borrowed money the last five years of his life. And Richard Whitney was sentenced to five years in Sing Sing prison for misappropriating funds. So you hear this, and it should just blow your mind. You're thinking, here's powerful and wealthy men, men who are looked up to because of their power and wealth, and you see at the end of their life, their life was distraught and really, in a, in a lot of ways, worthless. The way they lived in the end and the way they died in the end. This morning, we are going to look at the story, chapter 13. We're going to look at King Solomon. He was rich. He was powerful. He was wise. He had a similar experience in his life where he was on a high, and then at the end, he was at a low, and he learned some amazing things from his experience. And we're going to learn from Solomon, and hopefully that we're going to be able to live the kind of life that will have meaning and purpose till our very last breath. So the story opens with uh, King David on his deathbed. Uh, Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, wants to make sure that Solomon is going to become king, and so she's you know, right there by David's side, and they're making sure that that's going to happen. And, and right before uh, King David dies, he does indeed make Solomon king. And he takes on the role of the king. He marries the daughter of the Egyptian pharaoh. And it says in the scriptures that he walks in the way of his father. In other words, he believes in the God of creation. He walks with him. He is faithful to him. He's obedient to his commands. We read in 1 Kings 3.5, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Could you imagine being in that situation? God comes to you and says, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Ask for whatever you want. It's kind of like Aladdin in the three wishes, right? Ask whatever you want, and I will give it to you. You know, a lot of people might say, I want money, I want possessions, I want a bigger house, I want a nicer car. You know, a lot of times, Satan has got us thinking that things in this world are really great. We're always wanting these things, right? Kind of like my goal here for 2019, right? Acquire as many things as you can get, right? Not a good goal. But so many people have that goal in their life. Ask whatever you want me to give you. But we see Solomon's response. Verses 7 and 9. Read the yellow with me. Now, Lord, my God, Solomon says, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon asks for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom to know how to rule. Give me wisdom to know how to live. Give me wisdom so that I can live the life that I need to live for you. God is so pleased with his request that not only does he give him the wisdom, but he says, I will give you wealth and honor as well. And it's interesting to see, you know, sometimes we ask for wealth, we ask for honor, we want power, but how will we respond when we are given those things? That's the challenge, right? Can we handle those things? Can we, you know, sometimes, oh, I wish I would win the lottery, right, and have all this money. My life would be so much better. Would it? 
Would it really be that much better? Could we handle that kind of influx, of influx of money into our lives? Could we deal with having that much? Some people, yes. Some people use it really well, right? Some people, no. You hear stories all the time. People win the lottery and then their life just falls apart. All their family members want money from them and their relationships just go downhill because they don't know if people love them for their money or for who they... And you just see that people have difficulty in that situation. Same thing with power. If people are given power, can they handle it? Some people become very corrupt once they have power, right? How will we handle these things when God gives them? We ask God for things all the time. And if he gives them to him, can we handle them? Sometimes God, that's why God says no, because he knows we can't say no. So he doesn't give it to us because he doesn't want us to have to deal with the situation of having to have that power, that money, that possession, whatever it may be. That's why God says, just trust in me, trust in my will, and I will give you what you need, what is best for you, what I think you can handle. Well, it's good that uh, Solomon asked for wisdom because right away we see um, Solomon's wisdom put to the test. Uh, we read this in 1 Kings 3, 16 to 22. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I was while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. Read with me. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. And so they argued before the king. So here you have the classic, she said, she said, right? You have two witnesses. They're the only two witnesses. They say different things. One says one thing, one says the other. How would you handle that situation? What would you do if you were the judge in that situation? How would you decide who was telling the truth? So this is what Solomon does. First Kings 3.25. He then gave an order. Cut the living child in two. And give half to one and the other half to the other. If you both want the son, here, we'll cut the child in two. You each get half. You'll be happy, right? Now, Solomon did this to flesh out the real mother, right? Because the real mother would rather have her son alive and living with someone else than have her son killed. And so the real mother says, no, 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 king. Give the child to her. And then Solomon says, no, we'll give the child to you because you are the real mother. That's pretty wise, yes? Great way how he handled this. We too need wisdom. Read this with me, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. What is an amazing truth in the Bible is that God wants to impart his wisdom to you and me. He fills us with his spirit. His spirit of wisdom comes into us. We can have the wisdom of the Lord. Maybe not be as wise as Solomon, but we can have the wisdom of the Lord. That is available to us if we 
fear the Lord, if we have humility before the Lord, if we have this great and amazing respect for the Lord, if we make the Lord the king of our life, if we trust in him and seek him and walk with him, we can have the wisdom of the Lord. But a fool will say, no, I don't need the Lord's wisdom. A fool will say, no, I don't need instruction from the Bible. No, I can do it on my own. I don't need God's help. Well, in Solomon's fourth year of his reign, he builds this amazing temple. Remember last week we talked about how David wanted to build the temple, but God told uh, the prophet Nathan to tell David, no, you're not going to build the temple. Your son is going to build it. And so David, in his power and his ability, collected all the supplies so that Solomon could build this amazing temple for the Lord. And God's presence was to be with them in this temple. And Solomon obeyed all that the Lord had told him. And so we read this passage in 1 Kings, uh, Kings 9, 4 to 8. As for you, God is saying to King Solomon, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father. When I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and de decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land. I have given them and reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? So it's pretty clear, right? God comes to Solomon and basically says, If you walk in my way, if you obey my commands, if you are faithful to me, then your kingdom will last. My kingdom will last. And you will have a king over your kingdom. But if your people turn from me, and do not follow me, then all will be distraught for your kingdom. And even this temple itself will become a heap of rubble. And people will look at you and scoff at you. Right? Pretty simple, right? As long as Solomon follows the Lord in his plan, all would go well. But if his people veered away, then all would not go well. And isn't that what we've seen in the story all along? Time and time and time and time again, God says, follow me and I will be well. And the people turn from God and what happens? They struggle. They're lost. They come under slavery. All this happens every time they turn from the Lord. See, it seems pretty easy. You don't have to be the wisest person in the world to understand this. If you were given... A final exam. And there's one question on the final exam, and this is the one question. What is the formula for success according to the Bible? That's your question. You, you only have one question, okay? That's it. What is the formula for success according to the Bible? What would you say as your answer? Should be pretty simple, right? Follow God in his plan, or follow God in his will. That's how simple it is. 
You want to understand the story of God? God said, I created you, I want to be in a relationship with you, and I want you to be in a relationship with your people, and I want you to follow me and to follow my plan. Right? Follow his plan, walk in his will, the plan that he designed for your life and for mine. And when we do this, we will have success. Just as Jesus said, right? Follow me, follow me. It's that simple. It really is that simple. Follow me, God says. So the question then becomes, why do we veer? If the question is, the answer is so simple, if we know that all we need to do is follow God, then why, why do we veer away? Why do we choose to not follow God? Why do we choose to not walk in the will of God? Well, the answer is because we take our eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Or we don't get what we think we want, what we think we need. And so we say, well, God, you're not taking care of my needs like I want, so I'm going to go take care of them myself. And we start to do our own thing. Or we let people or influences or teachings come into our life that lead us down a different path. And again, we walk down this other path. We're not in God's will, and we veer away. And then we say, God, what happened? Why, why are you not blessing me? God, why are you not with me? Why, why are things not going well in my life? And God says, follow me and my will. That's all you have to remember. All you have to remember. And we see in King Solomon's life, in the first part of his life, he's doing that, right? He's following God's will and all is going well. And he's so grateful for God, for being king and for having his people do well, and for him being able to build the temple. But then something changes in Solomon. Maybe you're familiar with the research that's done with uh, frogs, right? The research says that if you put a frog in a boiling pot, the frog will jump out, right? But if you put a frog in a, a pot of lukewarm water and then slowly increase the temperature the frog will stay in the water and basically be boiled to death. Because what happens is that a frog can de determine its environment, but not in incremental ways. And so by the time it realizes it's in danger, it's too weak to get out. Now, I mention this because this is what happens to Solomon. Remember, Solomon starts off doing the right things and following God, but then he doesn't continue in this behavior. He has power. He has wealth. He has honor. He has wisdom. He has a kingdom. He has a relationship with God, but then something changes. He jumps into this lukewarm water. And it slowly gets turned up and turned up until he basically gets cooked. See, we read in 1 Kings 11, 1 to 2, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites. You must not intermarry with them. Why? Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And read with me. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. 
What was the answer to the one question on the exam? Follow God and my plan. Follow God and my will, right? He makes it very clear. Don't marry these other, into these other nations. Why? Because they have other gods and they will turn your hearts after their gods. But what does Solomon do? He does it anyway, right? He loved many foreign women from the nations which God told them, do not intermarry. In the end, this is what Solomon chose to do. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, I'm challenged enough with one wife. <laughs> I cannot imagine what it would be like to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. But that's what Solomon did, right? Not very wise, in my opinion. As he grew, grew old, his heart turned to the hearts of the other gods. His wives turned his hearts to their gods and led them away from walking faithfully with God. And then Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord completely. See what happened? He jumped into this lukewarm pot. He married these women anyway, and exactly what God said would happen, happened. How often do we do that? We, you know, I have people come to me all the time that think that they can dabble in sin, right? Oh, it's okay. This is not really that bad. This is not really that wrong. I can do this. It's not going to affect me. And then the next thing they do know, they are too weak to get out of that sin. They, are, they find themselves in this cycle of sin that they can't get out of. If the wisest person of all time could not outwit sin, who are we to think that we can? So often we want to just say, but the, but the world just seems so fun. The world just seems better in this way. I want to be like this person or I want to do this. I feel like I'm missing out because I don't get to do this as a Christian. And so we dabble in sin and if we do, we will get cooked. So what then is the answer? Well, I want to make a couple of suggestions for you. First of all, have someone in your life that you can talk with and who can help you stay accountable to the Lord. Have someone in your life that you trust so much that if you are struggling with a sin or if you're tempted by a sin, you can go to them and you say, you know, I need to talk to you about this. I need your strength. I need your help. I need your accountability in my life. The Bible talks time and time again about the importance of having accountability in our life. People who can walk with us, who we trust to support us, to stay faithful to God. Remember, David had Nathan, right? And Nathan came to David and confronted him in sin and got him back on track. We need a person like that. Secondly, Study your Bible regularly, if not daily, letting God instruct you and, and direct you, right? Remember what I said? That wisdom comes, or the fear of the Lord begins with the wisdom of the Lord. You need the Word of God in your life. Not just on Sunday morning when you come here. If you don't know what to read, go back and reread the scripture that I just preached on. Or 
Go, just start in the Gospels and start reading the Gospels. Or go to the book of Psalms and just start reading a psalm a day. Put Scripture into your life, into your mind. If there's a specific area that you're struggling with, find a, a Bible verse and memorize it. And keep that in your head regularly. Say it every day. Keep the Bible, the Word of God, in your life. That will keep you on the path of God. And don't think you can make your own decisions apart from God. Don't do that. Don't think that, that you don't need God in your everyday life. God is just not someone that you say, okay, save me, Lord. Okay, I want Jesus. Okay, great, thank you. Okay, I'm going to set you over here, and then I'm going to do these things, and then when I need you, I'll come and I'll ask you for what I need, and then you'll answer all my requests, and then I come back in here, and, and I only need you when I need you, Right? Do you imagine being in a relationship like that where you only said to your spouse, I'm only going to need you when I need you, and other times I just want to do my own thing? That doesn't work. You can't have a relationship like that. Even more so with God. You cannot just say, God, I'll just call on you when I need you. Don't think you can make it on your own without the presence and the power of God in your life. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is really his speaking his wisdom, what he learned in his life. It's a great book to go through to just say, what, what did Solomon learn through his life? Now, he wrote it in a naturalistic view of life, meaning uh, life through human eyes. And he wrote it in kind of in his downtime where things weren't going so well, where he had struggled and lost a lot of things, right? So it's kind of depressing in a way <laughs> when you read it. But if you pull out the nuggets from that book, there is some great teaching in the book of Ecclesiastes. See, he recognized it, even himself, with the great wisdom that he had, failed to navigate his life well when he did not allow God to be on the throne of his heart. He recognized that in the end. He said, you know, I see where my downfall came. It's when I no longer allowed God to be on the throne of my heart and I went after these other gods. And so he learned this lesson. The big idea of this book is that life can be, will seem meaningless when we are not following God. Or for us, when we're not following Jesus Christ. When we're not allowing Jesus Christ to be the, the Lord of our life. When we're not letting him direct our life when we're not doing what God is calling us to do, when we're not in the will of God, then life will feel meaningless. Life will feel meaningless. In Ecclesiastes 1-2, Solomon says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then in his writing, he's saying that because of his demise, he felt that his life was meaningless. It started off so good, right? started off so great. And then it just fell apart, and he felt like everything was just meaningless. He started seeking after pleasure, work, intellect, to try to bring himself happiness, and none of these things fulfilled him. I mean, he had everything. If you read about Solomon, he had everything. He had so many riches. He was so powerful. He had wisdom. He had people. He had wives. He had concubines. He had, he had so much Right? The title of this chapter is The King Who Had It All. He had all these things. 
and they did not satisfy him. And when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, life is meaningless. Why? Because he realized that he was searching after the wrong things to fulfill him. Read the underlined part with me. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And isn't this what we've been saying all along? The one who seeks after God and pleases God will have success, not the worldly success, but success as God determines what is successful and what is meaningful in life. The one who follows after God will have meaning and purpose and success in their life. And God will bless them and fill them with his love and give them purpose. And each day you will wake up and you'll say, God, what do you have for me to do today? What purpose do you have for me? And when we walk in that way, we will get to the end of the day and say, wow, what an amazing day. I live my day with purpose for the Lord. And the Lord blessed it. And then Solomon closes the book of Ecclesiastes with these words. And read the yellow with me. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Right? The answer to our exam, right? Follow God. Right? And walk in his way. Walk in his will. As I said before, the title is The King Who Had It All, and Solomon had it all. But he realized in the end that the all that he really needed was his relationship with God. That was all that he needed. That is all that we need. If you want to say, I am a person who has it all, you're not going to be saying, I have all these possessions and things. Look at my car, look at my house. Look. No, you're going to say, I have it all. Why? Because I have a relationship with the God of creation. I have a relationship with the, with the Savior who redeemed me. I have a God who forgives me of my wrongdoings. I have it all. And that's what it means for our story to be a part of God's story, that we walk with God and he includes us in his story, making a difference in this world through your life and through mine and through our church. Let us pray.